Great to see you this morning. Uh, praise God for what we just experienced. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? How wise is the Lord saying, hey, you should do this regularly. You should gather around my name and eat something uh, together. And he gave us such a beautiful picture of what he accomplished at the cross. I'm so grateful to get to celebrate the supper with you. Hey, I want, you, I want to mention to you, uh, this last Monday night, our congregation uh, decided to, to invite a process that will be to hire another pastor to come on staff here at, at our church. And so uh, pastor disciple making is a part of where we're headed. Uh, here there's a search team formed and, and there'll be a process. You can read in the shout out if you're not subscribed to that. Just want to encourage you to participate in that. And really what I want you to do today is, is to pray for that process. Because just hiring another staff member um, doesn't do anything. But, but when the Spirit is involved and when He directs us and when He guides us and when He brings the right person into our mix, uh, we're trusting that the Lord is going to use that person along with the rest of our team and with you uh, to help us to love God, grow people, serve our city, and reach the world that much more. And so uh, would you join me in praying for that process? Would you do that uh, in the coming days and weeks? All right. I'm seeing some heads nod. I'm, I'm hearing heads nod in your head, okay? Uh, please do be praying about that process. Well, uh, if you would, please turn in your copy of Scripture. We're going to finish out our time together in Psalm 23 here this morning. We'll read it in a little bit. But, but I wonder, uh, as we begin our time uh, together in, in this part of our service, can anyone remember a time in your life when everything just seemed to kind of line up? You know, when everything just matched your expectation, where everything seemed to work, and, and you couldn't imagine life going any better? Okay. The thing about one of those times, I remember for me, it was my junior year in high school. I was a part of a musical at, at, at school that, that kind of made me feel that way. Specifically, it was our second to last performance. And, and from the downbeat to the, to the final curtain drop, everything just seemed to work. I mean, every note was in tune. Every line was delivered with precision. The audience that was there that night laughed at every joke, and they cried in every place they were supposed to cry, and none that they weren't, okay? So it was awesome. And the standing ovation at the end was one of those transcendent experiences. And I, I know high school kids get standing ovations all the time, and I'm sure that was true for us as well. But I just remember standing there thinking, wow, I was a part of something really amazing. I was a part of something that was special, and that's not easily replicable. And, and my sense of pride and my sense of joy couldn't have been deeper. The next time I experienced that was when I was walking around the campus during the time that I was dating this really pretty girl named Christy. Okay, And, and I'll, I'll never forget very specifically walking past Menard Hall on the campus of NDSU. And I, I felt like I was flying as, as this name Christy ruminated in my mind. And, and as I considered this reality that this girl actually didn't think that I was gross. <laughs> it was awesome, right? And she even liked the Vikings. That was a bonus, okay? It was a good thing. I, I remember that very vividly. I, and and I, I've had a handful of moments like that spiritually as well where I felt so connected to God, so deeply committed to Him, and so loved by Him that I just couldn't imagine it being any different. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I can probably count on one hand, maybe two, the times that I've had experiences like that in my life, okay? Where, where things just seemed to be perfect, where everything was matched with my expectation, where things couldn't have been any better. And here's the thing, that, that musical experience was something that God used, I think, to solidify my path down an initial music career. I went to college for music, I, I figured out worship as a, as a big deal to me, and I became a worship pastor, and that led me in many ways to, to being here with you today. I'm so grateful uh, for that. 
And, and that initial experience with Christy uh, led me to, to decide, you know what, she's the one, and I'm going to ask her to marry me. And here, 24-some years later, uh, we're still together, and we have a family, and it's awesome. Praise God. And, and you know, those, those moments with the Lord where everything just seemed to match up motivated me to help me understand, yeah, God is real, God is, God is worth following, and I want to give Him all that I can in, in my life. I'm so grateful for those moments. Praise God for them. I consider them sweet gifts from Jesus. And friends, I think God often gives us those kinds of gifts, typically early on in our experience, to do several things, okay? To to make us aware of His presence, aware of His goodness, uh, to direct us in certain capacities, to encourage us to enjoy His blessings. But here's the thing. See, if we're not careful... As we continue in life, as we continue to walk through life, we, we become prone to measure our sense of satisfaction, our notion of what is the good life against what we have experienced previously in those early transcendent moments. We sang just a moment ago, God is the same God. Amen to that. God doesn't change, but, but our experiences do. And so when, when, we, when we don't see those experiences replicated in exactly the same way, it's easy to become cynical or, or disappointed or, or even despondent. <laughs> and see, for me, uh, my love for music has morphed over the years. I still love music. And man, I appreciate, every week I appreciate more and more what Pastor Nate does with our worship team and how, how he leads us and how you all who are a part of that group lead us in, in worship. But I'm not convinced that I've ever had the same experience again as I did when I was a junior in high school standing on that platform with those people. And so as a musician for many years, I've sort of had to deal with that, deal with my own expectations about art and music. And and in the same way, my my relationship with Christy has morphed over the years. Now hear me on this. (laughs) She still makes my heart flutter, all right? She does. But church, if I'm honest, our our relationship has changed. It's, It's matured. Necessarily so. And, it, and, and, and with that, those, those intense highs that might have marked the first weeks and months of our relationship have given way to something different. And, and like music, if I'm not careful, I can end up comparing my relationship with Christy currently to what it was in those early days. And friends, whether it's with marriage or with hobbies or, or maybe with our jobs or the places we live or, or wherever, it's easy to start to kind of panic when we, when we start to realize that, that those things that once gave us such tremendous highs have given way to something else. And it's easy to become restless. And we start to search. And if we're not careful, pretty soon, as one author describes, we're, we're down a road that we didn't know existed and we lose track of how to return. And that's why I'm convinced infidelity and divorce are so prevalent in our culture. Our spouse doesn't provide the high, and and like a crack addict, we go somewhere else looking for it. That's why people change jobs so rapidly, because what we thought would meet our expectations quickly disappoints, and we move on. That's why debt becomes so quickly overwhelming, because that dream vacation is now a thing of the past, and we can't function until we get that next high, and so we swipe the credit card. And before we know it, we're, we're simply drifting from point to point, trying to, trying to recover, uh, avoid, trying to recover a high that we think we need but we can't quite find. And the more we pursue, the more restless we become. And it can be the same in our relationship with God. Now, I, I know we have folks at varying stages in their spiritual journeys. And in fact, I love that. I love that about Cornerstone. 
Uh, some of you are, 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 have just recently put your faith in Jesus Christ, and that's awesome. That's incredible, and, and it's such a gift. And others of you, you're still on the journey. You're still exploring. You're still checking this thing out. And, and I want you to know, you're so welcome here. If you're not yet uh, uh, to a place where you've committed your life to Jesus, you have, you have permission to be in process. Let's keep talking, okay? I'm convinced that as you continue to look, God will meet you right there. But perhaps for the majority of us here at Cornerstone, uh, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus at some point in our past. And for those of us that have, it, it becomes easy to start to compare our relationship with God now as to how it might have felt in those early days, when it was easy, <laughs> when it was emotional, when it was maybe simple. And soon, before we know it, we're on that road again, chasing that experience that we once had. Same God, <laughs> different experience. And in the chase, in the pursuit, we, we miss something. See, I'm not against experience. I'm convinced God gives us beautiful experiences in Him to shape us and to motivate us. But if we're not careful, we can search so hard to recover a past experience that we miss what God has for us right now and what God has for us in the future. And so friends, today as we, we wrap up Psalm 23, as we attempt to follow our good shepherd on the paths of righteousness, I want to recognize a propensity that I think many of us have to pine for what was, to, to long for what used to be, to, to long for the recovery of what the righteous brothers called that love and feeling. <laughs> Remember that song? You've lost that love and feeling and oh, we, we lament over that kind of a thing. And, and to become dissatisfied until we find it once again. And then I, I want to offer a better alternative from the Scripture. See, I think David could have easily struggled with this kind of thinking as well. You remember David's story? We sang about it earlier in that beautiful song. David had some sweet days early in his life. I mean, can you think of the ecstasy that this young shepherd boy would have had when the great Samuel, the prophet of Israel, shows up at his father's house? And after all the brothers uh, go by and they're not chosen, they, they call for David and he comes in from the field and, and here he is anointed the next king of Israel. I mean, that was a high, right? That's a big deal. You think of David going out to the battlefield and discovering there's a giant out there and he steps up and he says, you know what guys, we can trust God for this. And he, and he flings a stone at the giant and that stone connects with his forehead and the giant falls and David is famous. I mean, that's a high. I, th I think about David as he starts to get into the military conquests in Israel and, and, and people start singing, women particularly start singing, you know what, Saul's killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. I mean, that'll go to your head pretty quickly, right? I, I think of David as he becomes king of Israel and his nation starts to expand and everything's going up and to the right. It's all working and he's thrilled. And, and, and hey, this is an exciting place to be as an under-shepherd in God's kingdom. <laughs> but then I want you to think about this. And we've rehearsed this before. Uh, think about David in the wilderness. Think of his, his remembrance of that, that early calling, that, that, that early wilderness experience where he was pulled in from the wilderness to be anointed. Now he's hanging out in the wilderness, and, and all he can think about, perhaps, is what it used to be. Think about the loss of his first child with, with Bathsheba, and his remorse for his sin against her and her husband. Think about the pain in his heart when his son Absalom not only left his house, not only rebelled against him, but also led a mutiny to try to overthrow him, ultimately tried to murder his own father. I mean, think about the intensity in David's mind and in his heart in those days. I'm convinced David would have pined for the good old days at some 
point in his life. And friends, this is why I think David ends Psalm 23 the way he does. This is why he ends Psalm 23 the way he does. See, under God's providential inspiration, David realizes that we're a people prone to pine for what was, prone to look back instead of to look ahead, to to wish for what we don't have instead of accepting and enjoying what we do. And so David paints this glorious picture of what is and of what will be. This is where our shepherd leads us. And with that... We read Psalm 23 once again. I encourage you to follow along in your text. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, as our good shepherd leads us from green pastures to quiet waters. As he leads us through dark valleys. And on the paths of righteousness. He brings us out to the other side. And here his role shifts, albeit subtly, it shifts from shepherd to now host, from shepherd to host. And here he invites us to sit at his table. Again, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You know, in our culture, sharing a meal with somebody is a big deal, isn't it? I always think if you share a meal with somebody, it's really hard to assume the worst about a person, right? I've rarely had a meal with somebody and liked them less after the meal, okay? I don't know if you had that experience. I know you can prove it otherwise, okay? So so you got that one. But typically when we share a meal, we grow in our relationship with that person. It's the same way in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, to sit at the table of another person, to actually be invited to their home, because restaurants weren't a thing the way they are now, right? To sit at the table with somebody in their home was to experience their hospitality in, in the most intimate of forms. James Johnston says, to eat and drink at someone's table created a bond of loyalty and fellowship. It could even be the final step of sealing a covenant. David is promising us a close, intimate relationship with our shepherd. And instead of dumb sheep, Jesus calls us miraculously friends. John 15, 15. In church, the the grammar here in the Hebrew is telling. uh, It's conjugated in the imperfect. It's in the imperfect. It's this idea that the table is either being prepared in an ongoing way or that it's already been prepared as such that its effects remain. They, they, They linger, okay? They have lasting effect. Church, our good shepherd, our host... Our provider does not limit the meal to a one-and-done experience. We don't sit at his table once and then back off and never see him again. No, the the table is perpetually set before us who are in Christ. One of of our sons surprised us last night, or yesterday morning, I guess. He came on Friday night when we were sleeping, and and I, I went out and got my coffee as I typically do or started to make it, and here I hear this voice that was unfamiliar in the last month, and he said, Hey, Dad, what? What? One of the things my son knows is when he comes home, the table will be set. (laughs) Praise God. That table is perpetually set for our children. It's the same way with God. We're invited to the table. You have a place at the Lord's 
table when you're in Christ. Jesus would later say in John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Why? Because you prepare a table before me. <laughs> you provide. And friends, from, I, I ask you this morning, from what table are you eating today? From what table do you eat? Are you, are you out there on that road trying to find what once was, or or have you accepted the invitation to sit with Jesus for what is? Now, some of you say, that is what I want. I, I get that. I want to sit with Jesus where he is. I just don't know where the table is. Can you tell me, where, where's the table? And, and church, I think it's interesting. The text here says that you prepare a table before me. Okay? You prepare a table before me. Literally, you put it right there in front of my face. Now, my nose and my hunger and all those things lead me to the table pretty rapidly. But Jesus, in, in a, such a kind way, says, no, it's right there. You can't miss it. You prepare a table before me. Church, what God provides isn't mysterious. It's not, it's not inaccessible. <laughs> it's like this. If, I, if I'm working on my truck, which is always kind of a miserable experience. I don't do it as much anymore. But, but if I'm working on my truck and I can't figure out the problem, and, and maybe I start praying, and I'm pretty sure this has happened to me before, I start praying and I ask the Lord, okay, God, would you give me some direction here? I don't know what to do. The truck isn't working. I can't find that one nut that YouTube says is supposed to be there. I can't get it to turn correctly. Would you help? And then all of a sudden I get a phone call and it's a friend and says, hey, what you doing? And I say, well, I'm, I'm working on my truck. It's really frustrating. And that friend says, hey, uh, why don't I come over and I can, I can help you out? <laughs> and I, if I would say to that friend, well, I don't have time. I'm talking to God now about what I need for my truck, right? <laughs> That'd be ludicrous, wouldn't it? Right? We, we wouldn't do that. And friends, how often do we miss <laughs> what God provides for us because our expectations are for something different? I may have wanted God to miraculously make my truck work. I don't know about you, but that typically doesn't happen in my experience. God provides in other ways. And if I have eyes to see, he brings what I need. Because, of our, because our expectations are, are sometimes misguided for how God answers our prayers. We, we chase a previous experience. We assume that God is going to work the same today as he did the other day. Same God, different methods sometimes, different experience. And I wonder, friend, are you open to eating at God's table with the menu that he puts out before you now? Or are you still looking for the menu you used to have 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 or 40 or 50? Are you still looking for the meal he served you last week? He set a table and he keeps it set. The question is, will you sit there? Will you receive what he has for you? Now, we'll discuss this thing about our enemies in a minute, but, but, but notice the second part of verse 5. David writes this. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. You know, some people translate this, and I think this is uh, evocative. It says, you make my head fat with oil. <laughs> it's the idea of God's lavish provision. You, you're going to get more than what you need with the Lord as your shepherd, as your host. And it reminds me of what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, 9 to 11. He says, or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to get good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
My son shows up yesterday morning and we see him and we say, you know what? We didn't prepare for you. You got to go back to school. <laughs> that's, not how it, that's not how it works. Church, our host, our provider, does not hold back from that which we need. The only question is, will we accept what he offers? Now, my son coming home, he doesn't get to decide automatically what's on the table that night. But he knows mom will have it there. Okay. Philip Keller describes the process of a shepherd uh, using uh, an ointment uh, to anoint sheep to keep flies away from them. He, he would grip the head of the sheep and he'd spread, he'd smear, he'd anoint a mixture of linseed oil and, and sulfur and tar over the sheep. And that would, that would deter the flies from tormenting these sheep. And it's a significant process. It's a lot of work. But he knows unless he protects the sheep from the flies, they'll, they'll never rest. They'll never eat. They won't be nourished. They won't be at their healthiest. And church, if you let God apply the oil to your head, he'll give you what you need to rest in him. He will supply. And he'll keep doing it. <laughs> the thing about that, that oil that the, that, that the shepherd puts on the sheep, it has to get reapplied. Some of you livestock people, you know this. You treat an animal once. Maybe it's a vaccine. Maybe it, it's, it's a one and done deal. But often you have to treat those animals over and over and over. And in this case, the shepherd has to reapply the anointing. So too, does God work in your life. You're, you're saved once and for all when you become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. But as you submit to the work of the Spirit, He in an ongoing way re-anoints you, in essence, with the, the oil that we're talking about here. He, he replaces that table in front of you to make your head fat with the oil. God keeps anointing you. He, he keeps providing for you. But you have to be willing to let Him grab your head each time. You have to be willing to let Him take you where He desires. In church, when God anoints, our cup overflows. Our cup overflows. The, the word here is a noun and, and not a, a verb. The word overflows. Our, our cup is in a constant state of saturation, of overflowing. It's overflowed when you're in Christ. Church, God supplies what we need. The question is, again, will we accept what he provides? And some of us are convinced that, that unless God makes my marriage fit my ideal, unless God does exactly what I think he ought to do in order to make me happy in my marriage, unless God restores it to what it once was or what maybe it never was, but I hope it will be, then God isn't doing his part. Or we're convinced that, that if God doesn't grow my business and the numbers don't go up and to the right, if God doesn't, doesn't bless my practice and make it profitable in a way that I expect, then, then he's not providing as he ought to. He's not fulfilling his word. If, if my kids don't behave according to my expectations, if my house can't be a certain size or decorated in a certain way, then we, then we hit the road and we start searching only to realize the table's been set the whole time. It's just not the one we wanted. Praise God, instead, it's the one we need. And in that, it's infinitely better, church. Our host, our good shepherd, is a great provider. Again, the question, are you willing to sit at his table? Or are you trying to set your own? Our God is a provider. Our good shepherd is a provider. But not only that, he's also a protector. He's also a protector. Look at verse 5 again. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
And church, the imagery here is powerful. It's this idea of a victim seeking asylum in a temple while the enemy lingers outside. And and as long as that victim stays in the temple, that enemy cannot enter. It cannot touch the victim. As long as that, that victim stays in the presence, the enemy has no power. But as soon as he drifts outside, he becomes vulnerable. Church, we often want And we even expect that when we pray to God and we ask Him to deal with our enemies, that He's just going to eliminate them. He's going to make them go away. He's going to make all our problems go away. We're not going to have to worry about these things and that thing and that person and this issue. God's going to just obliterate them. But church, I'm convinced that's not how God works. I'm convinced that far more often, God means not to eliminate our enemies, not to eliminate our problems, but instead to draw us to Himself in their midst. And in that, there's no insult, there's no intimidation, there's no threat that can penetrate us, that can get to us, because we're safe at the table of our good shepherd. But be careful, friends. Don't don't go wandering. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Stay with the Lord. He's your protector. You're safe with Jesus. He who wields rod and staff, knows precisely and effectively how to use both. Sit with Jesus. Let him lead you. Let him point out your steps. And you will be safe with him. Now, the focus shifts here in verse 6. And it's it's worth noting. Notice there's the third person, you, in verse 6. Five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There's this third person reference to God. But it shifts in verse 6. In verse 6 it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, the focus now shifts from host to guest. And church, if you made Jesus your shepherd, if the Lord is your shepherd, then you're a guest at his table. And here's the thing, at Jesus' table, your wanderlust gives way to his pursuit of you. And church, this is the miracle of the gospel. I mean, we're out there on the road, we're searching, we're trying to figure it out, we're looking for significance and meaning and prosperity, and we're trying to to make sense of a hard life, and we're on the road, and we're beating the path, and we're trying to make it work. But the irony is, all the while, our Savior is pursuing us. Our Savior is moving towards us. Our Savior is the one who does the traveling. He's the one who steps out of heaven and puts on flesh and suffers and dies and carries His cross to Golgotha in order that we might experience His goodness and His mercy. Our Savior comes to us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Church, the word mercy here in verse 6 is translated from the Hebrew word hesed. And it's a word we've referenced several times here at Cornerstone. It's, it's the closest word in the Old Testament that we have for grace. And it's this idea of God's loving kindness, His faithfulness, His covenant loyalness to those whom He has chosen. His hesed love is, is strong and, and, and abiding love. And church, it isn't that we went out and searched for God's hesed love and we said, oh good, I found it. Now I can have it. It's that God brought His hesed love To us, to me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. 
That's amazing. That's a miracle. <laughs> Romans 5.8, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And church, with that, with, with Jesus as our good shepherd, we shift. We shift from being those in pursuit of happiness to those being pursued by it. We shift from those who are in the pursuit of happiness to those being pursued by it. And friends, that's called grace. That's hesed. That's, that's mercy. Paul would write in Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of works done by us, not because we hit the road, not because we made it happen, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Church, it's all about his mercy, his love. And so we as guests at his table are those who have been pursued in love, by love, for love, for our God. And the result of God's pursuit of us, (laughs) when we finally let him catch us, when we stop running on our own road and instead let the goodness and the mercy of our Savior overtake us, when, when we let his hands grip our head and we submit to the anointing oil that he pours over us to make our heads fat, to protect us from the flies, when we submit to the reality of our sin and our need for grace, our Savior overtakes us and we go from wanderer to worshiper with all the privileges and, and all the safety of his glorious presence and all that it affords. Friends, David fixates on on the house of the Lord in his writings. He he knows that in God's house, there's fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. And and he writes in Psalm 27, verse 1 and verse 4 and 5, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, and he'll conceal me under the cover of his tent. He'll lift me high upon a rock. Friends, this is the common theme in Psalm 23. And it's a common theme in Scripture. When you have God, when God has you, (laughs) when God pursues you and avails himself to you, you have everything you need regardless of what goes on around you, regardless of how close your enemies are. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemy. Are you on the road that leads to nowhere? You trying to forge your own path, trying to make it happen this morning? Can I encourage you? Choose a different path. Choose the way of your shepherd. Stop pursuing what once was, what you think you need again. And instead, come sit at the table with Jesus and be present with the Lord. Be present with the Lord. In His presence, there is fullness of joy. And church, again, be be careful. Remember that to be present with the Lord doesn't mean that your enemies, that your persecutors, that your problems are immediately going to disappear. They will, praise God. Scripture reveals to us there comes a day when the enemy is no more, when Satan is cast into the lake of fire and the judgment of God falls on him in a way that is permanent and where he will be sealed and, 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 and will be free from the effects of sin on into eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Friends, that'll be a good day. But it's not here yet. And so in the now, today, 
To be present with the Lord, it's not to be with Him in a specific place. Okay? It's not to be far away from all of your troubles. No, it's for God to be present with you in the midst of them. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And friends, in that, you can make His house your home. You can be with the Lord. Gerald Wilson says it like this. He says, as long as we're looking for an experience that takes us out of the pain and uncertainty of living, we will not know what it means to dwell in God's house forever. But as Psalm 23 shows us, dwelling in God's house does not mean some sort of translation out of our circumstances of pain. Dwelling in, in God's house, he says, doesn't mean that God just whips us right out of it. Right out of all the trouble. Instead, he writes, it means to dwell with God in the very presence of our enemies. It's possible, says the psalmist, to experience the gracious presence of God and to receive the abundance of life he offers in the midst of life as it presently is. That the already is breaking now into the not yet. I love that. That is the already breaking into the not yet. That that is what we experience now. It gives us a glimpse of what will be in the not yet. Jesus comes alongside us. He says, hey, I want you to eat at my table. I want you to sit here and I'm going to show you. And you can remember and you can see, but we're not there yet. And so in the meantime, here I am. You can trust me. You have me. You have my presence. Church, I I know that many of you are experiencing really significant trials. I I do. Even as I was writing this this part of my message, I got a text from somebody who's welcoming a a child into the world, which is a joyous experience, but the child was going to be born, and in fact has been born since that time, at 28 weeks. And so one pound, three ounces, I think, was the size. And and the child, by God's grace, is doing okay, but, but has a host of trouble. Ahead. And I know others have experienced that in different ways, friends. And I know others of you are experiencing different difficult diagnoses. Others of you are experiencing relational challenges. All kinds of things. Our enemies show up in all ways, shapes, and forms. And friends, here's the thing. You'll never hear me say that if you come sit at Jesus' table, all your problems will go away. That's not how it works. I wish I could say that to you, but from God's word, I cannot. But I will say from the word of God if that, if that if you come sit at Jesus' table, he's going to be there with you. He's there with you. And he'll lead you. And he'll keep the table set with exactly what you need. And you will have in his presence everything. Your head will be anointed. Your cup will overflow. You will not want for anything because Jesus is right there providing you everything. Friend, would would you stop wandering? That that road is exhausting. I want to encourage you, get, get off that road and sit down for a while and eat. Come sit, come home. The table is set. Church, would you, would you stand with me as we close out our time in this sermon series and in Psalm 23? And I want us to read this, this, this beautiful psalm one more time together out loud. And as we do, I want you to soak in the goodness of God. I want you to feast 
on the morsels at his table. They're good. Let's go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Church, hang on just a minute. This last verse. I want to remind you, this is yours. And so when you speak this, we're not just reciting a verse. I want you to speak this as a confession to God. And I want you to receive his goodness that he has for you. Let's do it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, what a glorious promise. What a beautiful truth. What a great plan to teach us to trust you regardless of how close our enemies are, regardless of how much trouble we face, to trust that what you have for us is enough to shape our hearts around what you provide, to shape our palates around the food that is at your table. And God, I invite you to do that in each one of us more and more. God, forgive us for those times when we drift off the road and whether it's trying to go into our past to recover something that we think we need, whether it's, it's drifting too far into the future and, and, and putting constraints on you and, 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 and expecting from you that which you don't desire to give because you know there's something better. God, help us to sit at your table and to, to feast on that which you have for us today and in that to trust you for tomorrow. God, I, I pray for those who are, who are out here struggling with life. I pray for those listening online, those here in the room this morning. I pray that you would meet them in the presence of their enemies. And that right there at the table, they would look up and once again see the good shepherd who's there with rod and staff providing for their every need. God, thank you for meeting us here this morning. We trust you with these things. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray together. Amen.